Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so thankful that all of you are here today, and we really do mean that. I have quite a bit to cover this morning, so I'm just going to kind of hop right into it. Uh, We are in a series right now titled Controversial Jesus, a a series that includes topics such as the sexual revolution, abortion, marriage, divorce, money, homosexuality, and and a handful of others. Uh, So if you are new around here, it is fair to say that, well... You, you picked a heck of a week to check us out, as today we move into part 5 of 12 with the title of today's message being Jesus and the Transgender Movement. Welcome to Grumlaw. So, so listen, hey, if you are new around here uh, and you're maybe thinking right now, like, what the heck is like this seriously, like what, what they talk about in churches? Uh, we are actually in the same boat. Uh, you probably didn't ever expect to hear a message on this topic, and, and I will admit, I never expected to preach a message on this topic. So we are... Very intertwined here this morning. I'll also say uh, at this point of the message, uh, and again, I've said this in previous weeks as well, that um, throughout this series, we are utilizing video teaching in a way that we never have before. Because of some of these topics that we are addressing, we felt like it was appropriate uh, that you would hear these words directly from my mouth, the lead pastor. Also, it's not every single week of this series. So there's certain weeks where we will have live communicators at both places, and then some weeks, like this week, uh, where one campus is getting the video teaching, and then the other campus is having me as a live communicator. But with that, I will say, uh, no campus will receive video teaching two weeks in a row, and we are being very diplomatic about this and that we are making sure that there's a very even balance uh, between me being live or on video. And I just want to say with that, and I said this last week, um, thank you. Uh, I literally have not heard a single complaint about this. It seems that all of you understand why we decided to walk down this path for the sake of the series. And I will say, uh, again, this is not something that we are considering for the future. Uh, this was specifically for this series, and again, because of some of these more hot button topics that we are addressing. Uh, So if you are new around here, uh, here is the why behind this entire series. In a nutshell, uh, if the church doesn't disciple you, the, the world sure will. Uh, And we've seen that in in increasing measure over these last couple of years in particular. Uh, We as the local church, we have a responsibility to not only present you with a different viewpoint, but but a better one. God is is for you. And and as such, God has given us this this manual for life. The, The perfect creator, out of an overflow of his kindness, has given the imperfect creation, that is you and I, a a manual for this life. That that when followed, it ultimately leads to a life that's marked by peace and contentment and fulfillment and joy, something that we're all searching for. So so in this way, God doesn't give commands because he loves rules. God gives commands because, well, he loves you. That they're not meant to restrict, they're not meant to repress, but rather they're given to us to, to protect us from, well, us. So think, as we've been saying throughout this series, think train tracks, not prison bars. Train tracks to peace, to joy, to contentment, lasting satisfaction, and escaping them isn't freedom, it's, it's a train wreck. 
Now, now to appropriately receive and understand this message, this topic we're addressing today, uh, it would be best, and if you haven't been here for the entirety of this series, to go back and please listen to parts one and three of the series. Uh, Part one laid the groundwork in a lot more detail than what I just summarized uh, for the why behind this series. Why would we even tackle these topics? And, And then similarly, in part three, the title of that message was Jesus and the Sexual Revolution. It really serves as an intro into this week as well as last week when we talked about Jesus and the gay community. So so if you were not here for parts one and three in particular, please, I'm begging you, go back, listen to those messages, which you can conveniently do at grumlaw.com slash messages, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. Uh, Now, for for this week, pushback for this particular message, because I've actually already heard it, uh, has gone something like this. Shay, why would you address a topic that affects such a small percentage of the population? Now, now part of that sentiment is admittedly true, as we're actually going to get into here in just a bit. A fairly small percentage of the population experiences uh, what has come to be referred to as gender dysphoria. But 100% of you are being confronted with the ideology. In fact, right, not one person watching right now, not one person in this room right now, when I revealed today's topic, thought to yourself, Well, what's that? I've never heard that word before. What's that transgender word? I mentioned in part three, which again was titled Jesus and the Sexual Revolution, that as followers of Jesus, we are called first and foremost to love others. In in fact, Jesus actually goes out of his way to say that like, hey, loving God and loving the people around you are actually on like an equal playing field. We, we, We say it this way often. Your love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by how well you love the people around you. But, but we are also later in the New Testament commanded to destroy false ideologies. And so we're called to love others, destroy false ideologies. And, and we don't get to pick one or the other. We're called to hold these two principles in balance. And, and so this morning, like I've done in previous weeks, I, I will speak in a very straightforward way. And, and like Jesus, I'm not attacking any particular person. I, I'm rather playing my role as the pastor of this church to destroy a false ideology that is enslaving and attacking people whom I care deeply about, and more importantly, people whom Jesus saw fit to die for. Now, now with that straightforward manner of speaking this morning, uh, if you have not had this conversation with your children, if you have children with you in this service today, if you're watching right now and they're sitting next to you, uh, and you have not had a conversation surrounding uh, that transgender movement, uh, we would highly recommend maybe that right now you would pull them away, go get them checked into Grumlaw Kids, uh, where ultimately every week they're going to have a way better experience. So there's a quick disclaimer on that. Uh, As we've said throughout the series, you ultimately get to decide what you do with this information. My role as the pastor of this church is to preach the entirety of the scriptures. Even the stuff that doesn't sit particularly well with us, even the stuff that might get labeled controversial by society. But, but you ultimately get to decide whether you receive or, or reject, which by the way, as we've made mention of throughout the series, happens every single week, 52 Sundays a year, not just with these more hot button topics. Every follower of Jesus has to wrestle the ground at some point in their faith journey. Will I listen to the word or the world? Will will I let what God says in his word override what people say in the world? Or will I let what people say in the world override his his word? There will always be tension between the word and the world. I, I promise you that this is not unique to this particular moment 
in history. And this morning, like I've worked very hard at every other week, I'm going to do my best to present the truth of Scripture with the grace that the love of Jesus inevitably moves us to. So before we dive into this, allow me to pray right now. God, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you that your word is, is true, it is unchanging, it is inerrant. We thank you that it is good for us, that you have our best interest in mind. And so like I've been praying throughout this series, God, I pray that we would just be uh, in a position of humility today, that we would have softened hearts to receive whatever it is that you would like to speak to us today, saying, God, like I, I trust you that even if I have a totally different opinion, even if I've been wandering in a different direction, I trust that, that, that if you teach something different, you really do have my best interest in mind. You're a good, kind, loving, gentle, patient dad. Uh, we love you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, now I mentioned this uh, last week, uh, but it should probably stand as even more of a disclaimer this week. It's very easy to approach this topic as a position rather than thinking of a person. And, and let me explain what I mean. Uh, imagine you're a teenager. And for as long as you can remember, you've always felt, well, like a little out of place. You never fit those specific gender stereotypes. So if you were a boy, you never got into trucks, sports, and action figures. If you were a girl, you were never into dolls and makeup. As a boy, you tended to be more emotional. You liked dance. You liked dress-up. As a girl, you loved roughhousing with your brothers and pretending to go hunting in the woods. And you grew up thinking, eventually, I'm, I'm going to grow out of this. But, but that moment never came. So you begin to feel a little bit awkward. You begin to feel like an outcast. And, and your deepest desire is to fit in and ultimately just be happy. And, and you start noticing, well, in fact, the more time you spend on social media, this becomes more apparent that, that there are all these people out there who, who were exactly like you. And, and they made this decision to come out and change their gender, change their name, change their pronouns. And at least on TikTok, they seem really, really happy. Furthermore, now you can point to tangible examples in your school of people who were similarly outcasts, and once they made this transition, that they suddenly had community, that they suddenly had friends, and are now being actually celebrated and applauded. So you think to yourself, like, maybe, maybe I should do that. But let's say maybe you're, you're a parent of a teenager, and, and as your child got into adolescence, that they seemed a little reclusive. Now, nothing too alarming, but, but it grabbed your attention. And then these little flags start popping up. Your young girl says that she wants to shop for her clothes in the men's section because they, they fit better. Your young boy wants to paint his nails. And then one day they come to you and they ask to be referred as a different name and ask that you would use a different pronoun. And it hurts. It hits hard because you gave that child their name. You had that moment where it's a girl, it's a boy. Furthermore, when, when you use their given name or you use their non-preferred pronoun, they, they throw it in your face. You're misgendering. They use this term, you're dead naming me. And, and as you begin to do your own research, you're being presented with all of this information that says that you're actually being abusive if you don't affirm your child. Like, what do you do with that? Church, here's the reality. Uh, those aren't hypotheticals. This is the world that we are living in right now. And so this morning, I want to begin with some definitions, and I want to give a shout out to two men in particular, Josh Howerton and Eric Geiger, 
uh, who have been beyond helpful in putting this content together and, in fact, uh, helping with these specific definitions. Also, uh, if you are this morning interested in diving even deeper into this subject, into this content, and, and looking at it from both a theological as well as an analytical perspective, today on social media, uh, this afternoon, we're going to be posting a list of helpful resources that we would definitely invite you to take advantage of, everything from podcasts to articles to books, uh, some stuff that we would highly, highly recommend. So begin with definition number one. Uh, the first one, sex. Uh, male or female, typically with reference to chromosomes, internal reproductive anatomy, and, and external genitals. Uh, when someone is born, th- their sex is identified, not assigned, based on anatomy. And, and for most of human history, sex and gender have been viewed as, as one and the same. But but over these last 10 to 15 years, uh, there's been a strong push for gender to be separated from sex, which which leads to our next definition, gender identity. It's a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. Uh, And this right here is certainly worth noting, it is the foundation of the transgender movement. The the idea that gender identity is separate from, from sex. In fact, to take it a step further, some transgender advocates are pushing for a genderless society where instead of sex being viewed as binary, that is male or female, it's rather a spectrum that can be freely moved about throughout one's life. Uh, The term to traditionally refer to that is uh, non-binary. Now, now what's a little bit ironic, and and some of you have certainly picked up on this, is that the transgender movement separation of gender and sex is completely reliant on stereotypes. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by using an illustration. Uh, Back in 2015, and some of you will recall this all too well, uh, Vanity Fair published a cover that uh, certainly grabbed some attention. We're going to show it to you right now. Here's Caitlyn Jenner on the front page for for the whole world to see. Now, at this point, uh, a woman named Kara Dansky, a self-described radical progressive feminist, uh, said this about that magazine cover. Caitlyn Jenner undid in one magazine cover what feminists had been pushing to do for the last 150 years. And and here's what she meant by that. that. There was nothing about Caitlyn Jenner's biology that said that she was female. But, but this magazine cover clearly articulated that girls are people who like long hair, lipstick, eyelashes, and pretty dresses. And, and she goes on to point out that both transgender advocates as well as male chauvinists from the 1950s are, are actually saying the same thing, just from different sides. Transgender advocates are saying, if you like those things, you're a girl. And, and male chauvinists from the 1950s are saying, if you're a girl, you should like those things. As Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin points out, if we separate gender from sex, all we are left with is stereotypes. And we have to understand that there is a big difference between gender and gender stereotypes. To be very clear, gender is biologically defined. It is a biological reality. You either have XY chromosomes or XX chromosomes. Whereas gender stereotypes are culturally constructed and they constantly change. So let me give us again one example of this. Uh, this is actually an excerpt from the Ladies Home Journal uh, circa June 1918. You heard, you heard that right, June 1918. Uh, there it was said, the generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The, the reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, it is more suitable for the boy, boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. So, so all you salmon-wearing dudes, you just got the validation that you've been looking for. Here's my point. Gender expression or gender stereotypes tend to change at different times in different cultures. 
So what we need actually are broader definitions for male and female because uh, we have men, even right here in this faith community, who don't love guns, hunting, and football, but, but they love to cook and they love the arts. And, and we have women in this faith community who loathe cooking and loathe the musicals, but they love to hunt and they love college football. It leads me to definition number three, gender dysphoria, that the sense of mismatch between physical sex, that is our body, and psychological gender identity, which is in our mind. So, so listen to this. There are people in our world who experience a war between their mind and their body. That's, that's kind of interesting, right? People experiencing a war between their mind and their body. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem like you've maybe heard this before? Oh, yes. Paul wrote this in, in his early letter to the Christian church in Rome. There he says in the seventh chapter, I love God's law with all my heart. It's this recognition that he realizes that these commands given by God, again, they're not prison bars, they're train tracks, and he recognizes that. But he says, but there's another power within me, that is my, my body, that is at war with my mind. Th th this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still, again, within me. So for those of you who thought that they had nothing in common with the transgender community, and you might not like this, that they say that there is a war between mind and body. But, but this church, when you think about it, it is a central tenet to Christianity. The constant battle between mind and body. In fact, the entirety of the Christian walk is a war between my identity, who God has declared me to be, and my activity, what I actually do. Think about it. The entire reason we submit our lives to Christ is because we recognize that there is something wrong with us, our, our flesh, and, and we desperately need a savior. So, so, so come on, just think about this. As followers of Jesus, we should have more compassion than anyone else for those experiencing gender dysphoria because although we have different solutions, we can very much understand that war that exists between mind and body brings us to our final uh, definition here, transgender. It's an umbrella term for many experiences of gender identity that do not align normatively with a person's biological sex. Now, now right here is where the, the word and the world go down completely different paths. That the world's view of personhood says that the person, uh, which is in your mind, and that's who you really are in the body, so person in your mind, who you really are in the body, which they would view as an expendable biological organism, are completely separate. It's actually, when you think about it, Darwinism. Your body is just matter that has evolved through time and chance, and it's completely meaningless. Now, now as you probably guessed, the, the word has a very different view of personhood, which we'll look to in Genesis chapter 1. It says there that then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like is us, that is to be like God. That they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created you. So the physical part of you is far from meaningless. You have been infused with the glory of God himself. He quite literally placed something inside of you from himself. There is something divine inside of you. The physical part of you matters. So the world's view of personhood says that you're a disintegrated person, but the word says that your mind and body are integrated. 
Your body and soul are connected. They are deeply intertwined. Theologically speaking, track with me here. You were born in a body that is fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus entered this world in a body taking on human flesh. When you place your trust in Jesus, your physical body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells within your body. You will be resurrected in a body and Jesus himself right now is in a physical body resurrected in heaven interceding for for you and I. So, So as followers of Jesus, we have a very high view of the body. Additionally, we have to acknowledge that this is more than an experience that some people have. And again, this has become a movement. Right now, particularly in the Western world, uh, there are skyrocketing rates of those identifying as LGBTQIA+, with 20% of Gen Z identifying as such. And here's why I say that this is a movement. That the rate of people who are experiencing same-sex attraction, that, that's the first two letters, lesbian and gay, it's actually staying the same. What's massively skyrocketing is those who identify as everything after the L and the G, the BTQIA+, and primarily this is happening amongst teenage girls. Uh, And many sociologists, such as Abigail Schreier, uh, she's not a Christian, by the way, uh, she wisely points out that transgenderism, particularly amongst adolescents, is contagious. It's becoming an epidemic, those are her words, spread by two means, immense social media immersion and relationships. It becomes an avenue to celebration and and inclusion. So again, two means, immense social media immersion. So I'm going to pause real quick right here. I've said this earlier in this series. Uh, If you have a child who has social media, and this goes beyond the conversation that we're just having this morning. Um, Again, these are strong words, but I mean it. Uh, You are being negligent at best and abusive at worst. If you are not putting filters, again, on your child's phone and in particular restricting the amount of time that they are spending on social media. We now have all this data, all these studies that reveal to us that the more time you spend on social media, the the worse it actually is for for you. So so it's spread by these two means of immense social media immersion and and relationships. And like any movement, uh, there is resistance. And those primarily pushing back are women's rights advocates. And and there are a couple reasons why. Uh, Number one, when male to female transgender people, think Caitlyn Jenner, Leah Thomas, uh, win awards like Woman of the Year or Female Athlete of the Year, it it not so subtly communicates to young girls, hey, men are better at being women than you. And and, and number two, the entire women's right movement was formed out of the recognition that women were a people group who needed to be protected and advocated for. And, And how can you protect a class that you can't even define? If you can't answer the question, what is a woman, how can you advocate for the rights of women? Now, to this point, uh, I have been largely addressing this topic as a movement, as a topic. And and so I'm going to begin right now and literally take a deep breath. Let's make the transition now to those of you who who, who this rings far closer to home. This is a deeply personal issue for you. And, And here's really the question that's at the root of all of this. How do I resolve the war that's happening inside of me? That, that would kind of be the deeper philosophical way of asking this question, but, but here's how it usually sounds. How, how can I be happy? And, and so the question then becomes, if, if my mind and my body feel out of alignment, how do I resolve that tension? And, and this is where, again, the world and, and the word take two drastically different approaches. 
the world would say, if your mind and body feel out of alignment, listen to your mind and, and change your body. But, but here is what, what the word says. Again, we return to Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Rome. And, and I'm telling you, as you read this, you'll be like, oh, that, that's it. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by doing what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So again, the world says, if your mind and body feel out of alignment, listen to your mind, change your body. The word says, if your mind and body feel out of alignment, embrace your body and allow God to transform your mind. Allow the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your mind into alignment with your fixed biological God-given reality. Now, now I do right now, and, and, and I will just uh, be very honest and vulnerable right now and say that I really struggled with whether I was going to say what I'm about to say right now. Uh, this was something that, that I felt uh, that the Holy Spirit was literally saying, like, Shay, you need to say this. You need to call this out as such. Um, what this movement has propagated in, in an increasing measure has successfully brought to reality in, in regards to bringing bodies in alignment with the mind, particularly in the lives of children and, and adolescents. And I'm very specifically speaking to medical procedures that are being performed on children and adolescents uh, is nothing short of sick, depraved, and yes, I will say it, demonic. It, it is the definition of evil and, and it should be called out as such. It makes a mockery of the creator and our image-bearing status. And and here's how we actually know, and just think about this logically, that this is from the evil one himself. This type of approach represents a complete and utter departure from medical practice for all of human history. For, For all time, the effort amongst the medical community has always been to bring the mind into alignment with the body, to bring the mind into alignment with physical realities. For instance, if an anorexic 80-pound teenage girl walked into a physician's office and said, I know, I I am a positive, I am overweight. No physician on the planet would say, well, if if that's what you feel, then let's get you on diet pills, liposuction, and, and get you scheduled for a gastric band surgery. No, rather, every physician on the planet would say, we need to work on your mind to bring it in alignment with your body. Your body isn't the issue, it's It's your mind. And over time, and I'm generalizing with this, and I recognize that, when there's a dysphoria between mind and body, the mind, with proper counsel and help, comes into alignment with reality. For instance, 61 to 88% of people will age out of gender dysphoria if they're just left alone. This year, the United Kingdom shut down the world's largest, and I got to admit, I, I, I loathe this statement. They shut down the world's largest pediatric gender clinic, uh, a place called the Tavistock Center, and here's why. They were being sued into oblivion because people walked in as adolescents experiencing a real thing, gender dysphoria, and on some of their first visits, they were counseled to bring their bodies into alignment with their minds hormone blockers, puberty blockers, chest binding, gender reassignment surgery. And and years later, and rightfully so, they are furious because medical professionals counseled them to make permanent life-altering changes based on temporary feelings. 
in, in an increasing measure, we're, we're seeing not just Christians, but the world at large come to see this for what it is. One example, this is a quote from Dr. Paul McHugh, who is a Johns Hopkins psychologist. He says that treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity-fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. That the treatment should strive to correct the false, problematic nature of the assumption. I want to address right now the parents seated here today who are very much in the thick of this right now. And perhaps... I have so much sympathy for this because I've heard this time and time again. Perhaps you have had this sentence wielded at you. You can either have a living son or a dead daughter. And if you're in that position, you need to hear this. That is a lie. Not only does scripture debunk that lie, but all those stats reveal the fallacy of that statement. In fact, now more and more studies are revealing that suicide rates are actually higher post-gender-affirming care. Statements like that are, are emotional terrorism. A- imagine me, for instance, going to my wife, Andrea, and telling her, Andrea, um, this is who I am. I, I must, it-, it is hardwired into me, I need to start sleeping with, with more women than just you. Every woman who, who is willing to sleep with me is attractive. Like I, I, I am going to choose to engage sexually with that person moving forward. And, and if you do not let me live like this, because that is who I really am, that is who I am in my mind, uh, I, I'm going to take my own life. So you can either have a living, adulterous husband or a dead, monogamous one. Uh, Andrea would slap me on the back and say, good luck with that. Now, now, for those of you who have already walked down this path, You've wrestled with your gender identity. You're a parent who, who perhaps isn't proud of how you've handled this with your child. But the, the question I want to end with today is this. If I've already gone down this road, can I still be redeemed and used by God? In, in Acts chapter 8, it's an incredible account. The Holy Spirit comes to an apostle by the name of Philip. And he tells him to start walking out into the desert out of Jerusalem. And he doesn't tell him why, which naturally, Philip's like, why, why do you want me to do this? And he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you yet. And after walking for a while, Philip comes across an, an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, back in this culture, a eunuch was someone whose genitals had been cut, crushed, or pierced to sterilize or feminize. It was an intentional removal of one's masculinity, an ancient form of sex alteration surgery. And this eunuch has traveled all the way from Ethiopia because he had this point in his life where he began to wonder, I, I, I wonder if God still loves me. So he traveled on foot for a thousand miles, a thousand miles by foot to come to Jerusalem, to be at the temple and perhaps experience God's presence. But, but scripture gives us this detail that, that the eunuch was actually returning meaning he had already left the temple and, and he was headed back home. And here's why that's important. When this man arrived at that temple, he would have been denied entrance into the temple upon seeing a sign hung by religious people that read, no lame, no disease, no blind, no eunuchs may enter this temple. He wasn't allowed to enter the presence of God. And to some of you who have walked down this path, you, like this man, are wondering, does God still love me? And some of the people who were supposed to represent Jesus to you barred you from walking through the doors of places like this. And as Philip approaches him, he sees that this man is reading from Isaiah chapter 53, and this guy is just obsessed with this passage. 
And here's why biblical scholars have long suspected that this man was so hung up on this particular chapter of scripture. that This man would have been reading from a scroll. And in that same section, uh, we have Isaiah chapter 56. And in Isaiah 56, it says these words. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Church, think about this. This eunuch had traveled all the way to the temple on foot a thousand miles. He saw the sign. He was thinking about the scars from his cut, pierced, crushed self. And because of his scars, he could not enter the temple. But he's reading in Isaiah chapter 53. And what Isaiah chapter 53 says in verse 5, it says, But he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This eunuch travels a thousand miles to experience the presence of God. He's rejected and on his way home, the Holy Spirit loved this man so much that he sent one of the apostles to walk 60 miles out into the desert. And he's reading this passage about Jesus being pierced, crushed, beaten, and whipped. And God sends Philip to tell him, your scars don't define you. His do. You are not who you say you are. You are not who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. And he says that you are a child, a son, a daughter of the most high God. He's absolutely crazy about you. He loves you. There is nothing you can do to get him to love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to get him to love you less. Father, we thank you that nothing will ever put us outside of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love. There's no cave, no valley we can hide in, no mountaintop we can get on that that, that puts us again apart from you. And so we had to say thank you, God, that you loved each of us so, so much that you would send your one and your only son to die for us. I pray for those in this room right now who are perhaps feeling shame and embarrassment and guilt. They'd be reminded right now in this moment that that is not from you. You are God who, who is love. If we ever doubt that again, we need to look no further than the cross, the great lengths that you have gone to, not to pay us back, but again, to win us back. We love you, Jesus. You're good. You're kind. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.